this message inspires and encourages you. For more information, please contact Nexus Church. Well, as we come to the Word, I, I just want to pray. Um, I just um, am excited and that word joy is just in my heart tonight. You know, joy is not something that's circumstantial, but when it comes to Christ and our faith and following Christ, joy is something that's deep comes from His presence. And I just have that word joy, that there's joy coming into our lives, that He's shifting the atmosphere of our hearts to experience and have a heart of joy where there's been mourning. So let me pray. Lord, I thank You that you're, we are in the midst of Your presence. Huge God, Creator of the universe, and yes, You are so intimate and so close. And we are so grateful for that. We just, as we come to your word and as we've sung these words and we think of what it is to say, I have decided, decided decisively to follow you. That the joy of that decision, that the, the, the profoundness of that decision, that the, what it is to follow you in all its entirety would just be magnified to us as we share your word. Lord, as we come, we put ourselves, as we pray so often, we put ourselves under your word so be instructed by your word. And we open our hearts to you afresh. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Fantastic. Thank you, team. What beautiful worship. And always love being led into the presence of God. Thank you. Well, this morning, this, morning, this evening, I'm excited because two weeks ago, Pastor Nathan sort of informally started to guide us towards this thought or this idea or this um, reality that it is to follow Jesus, what we call the call of discipleship, what it is that Jesus calls us to, a call of discipleship. And so we're actually going to take a, mo a moment tonight to look at one of the early disciples being called by Jesus. And we find it in Mark 2. And so we're going to jump straight into it and, and we're going to look at a few observations that come out of this that are relevant for us and I believe the Holy Spirit wants to minister to us out of. And so we're jumping into Mark chapter 2. We're going straight there, verse 13. We've got four verses, I think it is. No, a few more, maybe a few more. I can't do my maths, but we're reading from verse 13. And it says at the top here, Jesus calls Levi and eats with sinners. That's the title. I just want to make a note that Levi is actually also Matthew. Matthew who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Um, in fact, this story that we're about to read, this account that we're about to read is recounted in Matthew's Gospel, in Mark's Gospel, and in Luke's Gospel. And in Mark and Luke, it says Levi, um, the call of Levi. Um, but in Matthew's Gospel, when he's writing about his own call, he actually uses the word or his name Matthew. And I find that fascinating, and this is a side point, but I find it fascinating that, again, whenever we encounter Jesus, the words that are spoken over us prior seem to fall away. And it, God, give Jesus, it suggests here in what happened with Matthew, Jesus gave him a new name. He gave him the name of Matthew, which, is, which means gift of God. It, it, Levi wasn't a bad name, it's a Jewish name. But when we encounter Jesus, he, he speaks things over us that have never been spoken over us before because he knows what we're created as and to become. And that is a word for some people tonight that as you make that decision to follow him, he's speaking another name, other words over you. You're no longer Levi as it were, you're a Matthew, you're a gift of God. And so I'm going to be referring to Matthew, but in here it says Levi. We all know who we're talking about. 
Okay, verse 13, I, I should also say, it says here, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. This is early in Jesus' ministry. The lake being referred to there is the Lake of Galilee. Jesus in his early ministry was ministering a lot in the area of Galilee, which had this beautiful lake, which in, in, in here it's listed really creatively. It's in the area of Galilee. They go, the Lake of Galilee. I'm sure it had some other name, but it's the Lake of Galilee. So here we go. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. He's been there before. A large crowd again came to him, come to him, and he begins to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, Matthew. He saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, I don't know if I pronounced that right, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Make a note of that. He was a tax collector. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. These infamous words that we hear him say to other disciples. He says, follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. You know, in Luke's account, it says that Levi got up and it adds this little bit, left everything and followed him. That's what the account of Luke says. Left everything and followed him. And then we read, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, we've got to understand this wasn't just dinner. Luke's account says, well, he was having a banquet. Essentially, he was chucking a party. It was a huge bash. It wasn't just dinner. It says while he was having dinner, he was having a party at Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners, his friends, Matthew's friends and family were eating with him and his disciples were there too, for there were many who followed Jesus. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked the disciples, why does, the, <clears throat> why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? This was against the rules, the many rules that were added to the Old Testament by Jewish leaders. They weren't meant to eat in that way. Why is this Rabbi Jesus eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they were wondering. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, and this so encapsulates his mission and the mission he passes to us. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He has come to call everybody because we are all sinners. I have not come for the healthy who need a doctor, but for the sick. I've come to call sinners. Oh, I love this chapter. I love these verses. The call of Matthew, but not just the call of Matthew. It's his response that just gets me. You know, I take a step back. Here Matthew is, has um, heard for the first time a call that is a call he has longed for a long time. Let me explain, and I should say it's a call that continues to us. Follow me. Why did he long to hear this all his life? Why did the disciples with two words suddenly just get up and go? Like if I heard in our modern society, in our modern world, if I heard someone come up to me, even Nathan said, follow me, I'd be like... Uh, let me have a think about that. You know, I've got my wife, I've got, you know, work, I've got, I've got to, these things I've got to think about. But it's interesting, the follow me is not a question, it's a, it's a command. And that's, that's challenging. But I'm fascinated, why did they respond so quickly? And I want you to think about this. I want you to think about when you really wanted to be called up for something. Can you take yourself back to a moment where maybe you wanted to really be called up for a team? 
or you really want it to be called up for um, being in sports or for a musical or for audition you did, you really want to get that part or you really want to be called up for, let's say, a band or for that job or for that promotion or, or for that, that whatever it is. Can you think of a moment where you really wanted your name to be called up? Just hold that thought, those emotions, what that's like. You know, I was thinking about this and I was thinking, and I do love my sports, so I was thinking about drafts that happen, like NFL drafts where, or AFL drafts or, or NRL and, and how these sports, these young sports, men and women, you know, whatever sport it is, where you see this, this image, this video recording of when they get the call up. They're not sure if they're going to be part of the team, but they're so longing for the call-up and they get the call-up and it's this celebration of family, of friends. It's jumping around. It's, oh, it's, it's this celebration, this joy because they got the call-up. Can you picture that wherever that might have been for you? You know, the words follow me. Hold that there. The words follow me. <clears throat> when a rabbi called someone to be their disciple, it wasn't just anybody that they called. And the way they called their disciple was through those two words, follow me. It was something that all Jewish boys longed for. It was something that they grew up in that society. It was the highest calling. It was the best of the best. It was the coolest thing to hear those words from a rabbi in that time for a Jewish boy, follow me. It was something they longed for. It's, it's kind of like, and I'll put it in this illustration, it's kind of like in New Zealand where a lot of the fellows will grow up wanting to be part of the all-black team, but only 1% of the, all of them are ever actually going to get the call. It's the best of the best. 99% of them, just as 99% of those Jewish boys in Hebrew society who long to hear those words, follow me from a rabbi, 99% of them are going to hear, I'm sorry, you're not good enough. You're not top of the class. You're not getting the call up for ministry. You're not getting the call up to be a disciple. No wonder when we think of it in that way and we think of our own personal experiences of, of when we wanted that call up. No wonder the early disciples, when they heard those words, responded so readily. It was a joy. It's words they longed to hear. It's not arbitrary words. And you know, can I suggest that actually deep within us, Deep within us is the longing to hear that same call. We're not in Hebrew society. It's not that sort of external words that we, but deep within us, created within us from birth is the longing to hear the call of our Savior of Jesus to say, follow me. The reality is, and I do it too, we, we so often fight to get to a place where those longings are met from other follow me callers, if I could put it that way. It's so much in our society that is calling on us to say, hey, follow me, follow me, follow this cause, follow me. But deep down, the reality is, can I suggest, is that the longing within us is ultimately to hear the call of Jesus, our Savior, whether we realize it or not, follow me. You know, we long for purpose and a connection to something greater than us. You know, there's, I've recently read a, a research that's about um, the generations coming through, that we long to live for something greater than us. That's why we get attached so quickly to causes that are out there, because we want something greater than us that betters our world. We long for ultimate purpose. And can I suggest Jesus' call to follow gives us that ultimate purpose and that connection to an ultimate purpose that is greater than anything else we could live for and attach our lives to. You know, we long for peace, and Jesus' call to follow me brings us to the Prince of Peace. 
You know, we long for wholeness and healing. And that call brings us to the one who ultimately meets that longing and that need for wholeness and healing. We long for community. And Jesus brings us into the ultimate community that we could exist in and connected to. We long for us to have significance, to be of significance, to make of ourselves as someone. And Jesus' call, he, he commits in his call, not just to, for our, a call to say, follow me, but he commits in his call. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you. It's in the following that we actually become someone of influence that's worth and, and changes lives in our world. Deep down, can I suggest that there is ultimately, whether we realize it or not, that call that we long for from Jesus, follow me. And my prayer tonight is that we will get a shift in perspective of what it is, this call that comes to us. That it is an absolute joy. I had this phrase in worship come to me, the joy of the call. The joy of the call. The joy of the call. And my prayer is that each of us, whether it be for the first time or be it again in the daily call that we hear in our heart, that it would resonate like never before. This call to follow me and the joy of responding to that. You know, I find it fascinating when I think of this, the joy of the call. I find it fascinating Matthew's response. Not the response, and it is amazing his response in a sense that Jesus says, follow me, and he gets up, he leaves everything. It's, a deci- it's, it's basically saying there's a decisive decision he's made, as we've talked about tonight. And, and, and he, he follows Jesus. He commits to continually following Jesus. That is awesome. But I'm actually fascinated by the next response. I, I just love that Matthew threw a party. He threw a party. He put on a banquet. You realize he, he was rich. He had a house for him to put on a banquet to feed hundreds of people, to feed so many people that came. He, from his tax collecting days, and we'll talk about this in a sec, second, his tax collecting days of extorting people had money. And his response to Jesus, follow me, was, yes, I'm going to follow you. And man, I'm so celebrating this because it has changed my life. I'm chucking a party. I'm celebrating the call to discipleship. Oh, that fascinates me. That, that challenges me. You know, why was he celebrating? I think it gives us a glimpse into this. The reality that the call of Jesus is an absolute joy to celeb- and to be celebrated. You know, I, I think about why did he do this? Why is he chucking this party? Think about that for a moment. Why would he chuck this party? What does it mean to him? That was a good way to give a pause, wasn't it? <clears throat> Let you think for a moment. Um, why is he chucking this party? Let me put a few suggestions out to you that as I've read about this and as I've thought about and reflected on this and what we see in the words spoken there, can I suggest he's chucking a party for a few reasons. One, the natural reflex of the heart when we truly encounter Jesus is to honour Jesus and is to worship him. You know, it's a joy, this call of discipleship, because it's a call to be near Jesus and to worship him and to honor him who brings so much into our lives that meets that longing we talked about. You know, also we see Matthew would have chucked this party because he was so changed and, and encouraged and joyful about this that he wanted his friends and his family to know. 
He's every tax, you know, he says tax collectors and it says sinners came to this as well as those following Jesus. Everyone was there who knew of Jesus. And we've got to understand in that time, there weren't, wasn't much going on. They didn't have all the TV on at nighttime. When a party happens, everyone knows there's a party happening. That's even why the Pharisees and Sadducees turned up. This is a party that everyone knew about and he wanted his friends to know and experience Jesus as he was. There are a couple reasons, but I want to chuck a couple more things out there that I feel are for us to hear and, and to reflect on as well. He's chucking this party. Why is he chucking it? I would suggest he's putting this party on because, he's thought, because he thought he was disqualified. He thought he would never hear that call, follow me. And yet he's heard that call. He thought he was disqualified. And he's now going, I, I'm not. I am qualified to follow Jesus. I'm qualified to hear that call that I've longed for but didn't think I would hear. In fact, he thought so much that he would not hear that call that his life has taken a complete different direction since he was a young person. The whole idea of him being a tax collector was not like today. The whole idea of him, and ah, it's interesting, him being a tax collector was akin to being a thug, a common criminal, a thief. That's how tax collectors in that time were perceived. Now, some people today might think of tax collectors today like that, but I would suggest not. But why? You see, the whole thing of ta the tax system back then, it was what they called like tax farming. It's a bit like franchising. So the Roman Empire would determine this region is, has this much tax that it needs to collect based on all their calculations. And what they do is then they just put that out and the highest bidder essentially becomes the tax collector. So Matthew's become the highest bidder to say, I will collect that tax and I will pay to be able to do that with this much. Matthew became a tax collector. He chose to do that. What that meant then was, why would they do that? Because in the tax system then, there were taxes that were fixed, but there was a lot of taxes that could just be made up. It was rife for extortion. You could, tax collectors in that day would sometimes, the, the really, you know, the ones that had no conscience, maybe we say that, they would just stop people in the road. You're walking down this street. Okay, that's a tax of X amount of, I'll say dollars. I don't know. I forget what it was. Denarii, whatever it is. That's, that's that much, and you had to pay it, or they would sometimes even say, well, if you can't pay it, I'll give you a loan, and then interest happens, and all of that stuff. They could do anything. It could be on where you put your boat, where, how much fish you got. They were extortionists, and people hated them. This is who Matthew was. How far away from that longing originally as a, a Jewish boy to hear that call has he gone? How much would he have thought, I'm disqualified? Like you think, Matthew... When Jesus is walking alongside the lake, it says people, so many people came to him, but Matthew was sitting in the booth. Maybe he's thinking, yeah, that Jesus will never be interested in me. He disqualifies himself. He's sitting in the booth, yet Jesus comes along. Jesus comes along, and I love this. It says that he saw Matthew. That word saw, it's, it's an intentional, contemplative, perceptive looking at. It's not a glimpse. It's intentional and it's perceptive. And he saw Matthew. He saw Matthew. And that changed everything with the call. You know, I, I heard recently, and, and it's an illustration. I'm not going to say it's fact because it's from the 1500s, but I think it's got an element of truth to it, but it serves as an illustration, so go with me. You know, back in that time in the 1500s, there were many artists, many sculptors of stone, if we put it that way. 
And, and one of them, Donatello, and the other, Michelangelo. No, it's not the Ninja Turtles. 1500s. It's Donatello, he gets these stones, and they come to him, this big, massive stone, as I was reading it. And, and, and he sees it, and he sees the imperfections on it. And he's like, That's, I can't do anything. I'm not going to do anything with that stone. And he puts it out the back in this, in this space. Then comes along another artist, Michelangelo. And he looks at the stone and he starts to perceive it and he starts to contemplate it. And he sees something in there he feels he can create that is a beauty. And he looks at it and he starts to chisel away. And over two years he chisels away and then it comes to the time when he's about to reveal it. And what happens is he... Um, as he comes to reveal it, all the who's who are there. He reveals it and there's this clap of applause and this celebration of something that is so beautiful out of a stone that was rejected by another artist. It was the statue of David, which throughout time has been held up as one of the most beautiful and amazing sculptings of that time. It came from a stone that was disqualified, but yet with an artist's view, another artist's view sees the potential of what it could be. And that is what Jesus did with Matthew. He perceived, he contemplated, he came with an artist's view. He saw not what disqualified him, the things that he thought disqualified him, Matthew that is, or others. He saw what he was and could become. He saw what he was created as and could become. He saw him not as the tax collector extortionist, but at the, as the apostle and the writer of the gospel of Matthew and an influence and a changer of the world. And he says, follow me. I wonder if Matthew is celebrating the call of discipleship with a party because he realizes it's not him, that, it's not what others say or what he thinks, but it's the call that qualifies him and nothing else. The one who calls him and the call that qualifies him. And I think for some of us, we've discovered qualified ourselves we say ah oh, god can't do anything with my life that can't happen for me we think maybe what others have said over us disqualifies us maybe we've pinned it on ourselves. but the encouragement tonight to celebrate when he says follow me and we respond is to know that he qualifies us no matter what we've done you know, this call is not a call to a code of ethics. It's not a call to mimic a lifestyle. It's a call to a relational journey of trust. It's not a call to be a fan. It's not a call to be a visitor of Jesus. It's a call to come close to him because he qualifies us and he meets that longing deep within. It's a call that we all have over our life. No, no wonder he was celebrating. No wonder he was chucking a party. He thought he was disqualified and he's not. He's heard the call. But if you're like me, not only was he celebrating for that, but also he was celebrating because, uh, let me put it this way. You might be thinking, okay, like I have, hey, what's, what's going on there? What, why is he celebrating when there's a cost to be paid? You know, it's said that he left everything. It's said that he made the decision to get up and follow Jesus and leave everything behind. And we can think, and I would think, you know, why is he chucking a party when everything that is going on, that, that call means, seems to appear as a cost? I'll put it that way. And yes, I, 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 can I suggest Matthew knows there's a cost ahead, but it's okay for him. It's even a joy that there's a cost and it's something to be celebrated because, and this is what I want us to get, because there's treasure to be found. And what I mean by this is, is this. 
in Matthew 13, in one verse, there's a parable told. It says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid. In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This man in this parable got a glimpse into a treasure. He's like, great, it's there. I will sell everything that I've had that glimpse in that treasure because I know there is treasure to be found. In this barren land, this land that looks like nothing, this parable tells us there's a treasure. And this man saw that treasure and he was willing to sell everything because of the joy, knowing there was treasure to be found. I just get so... Um, stirred by that and, and excited by that. This is the picture of the joy of discipleship. There's a cost, yes, but it's a joy because there's treasures of the kingdom to find, treasures that won't perish, unlike anything that we would normally seek in this world, treasures that won't wither, treasures that are for here from the kingdom and for heaven in the future, eternal treasures. There's treasures of peace, treasures of faith, treasures of power, treasures of hope, treasures of relationship with Jesus and with each other, treasures to be found in the kingdom. Ah, Maybe Matthew's eyes were opened to a glimpse of the kingdom when Jesus called him, when he saw him healing people along the lake. Perhaps he saw those glimpses of the treasure of the kingdom and suddenly he's been called into a journey of adventure and of risk and of cost and of joy to seek out those treasures with Jesus, the treasures of the kingdom. Yeah, there's a cost. And we don't tend to think about it that way and I haven't in the past necessarily always I have to remind myself of this the joy of discipleship that there's treasures to find and that the cost is worth any cost that he asks us to pay any cost that comes is so worth it for the world that opens up with the kingdom and the reality is we don't tend to think that way because so often we see not what the treasure is that's hidden under the ground that has to be worked for as it were, that's revealed as we walk with Jesus, but we see the barren land and we go, really? Really? Is it worth the call and answering the call and saying, I'm turning my back on all else and following Jesus for that? Really? On the surface? I think we sometimes and often see barren land rather than the potential of what is hidden or underneath the treasure. You know, maybe Matthew is celebrating because it's, not about what he's turning from, but it's about what he's turning to. And when I thought of that this week, it just struck me. How often do I look at what I'm turning from rather than what I'm turning to? When I'm looking at what I'm turning from, I think about the cost and there's no reason to celebrate because I like some of that stuff. But when I look more at what I'm turning to, when I'm looking at Jesus, what he's calling us to, the kingdom, and what that means and all the treasure that is to be found of the kingdom, man, then you get excited and those other things start to fade. You know, I think of this, I think of, of my wedding day, and I think of Liz and myself, and we come to that wedding day that is a celebration. But imagine if I came, or if Liz, I'm going to use Liz, I'm not going to put myself in this, I'm going to put Liz in this. She's going to love this. She's at home. She's listening. Excited, Liz. Good stuff. Great stuff. All right. Liz comes to that day. And if she's thinking about what she's turning her back on by saying yes to me, 
it's not going to be a celebration. Like, those hundred guys that I beat, if she's focused on what she's letting go of, that's not a celebration. But you come to a wedding day because one has called you. One that you desire and long to call you has called you. And you're calling each other. And you come because you're focused on the one, not the, what you're turning from, but what you're turning to and making a decision to say, I'm going to be with you. I'm committing my life to you. And what do we do? We celebrate the decision to follow and be with one. That is amazing. And that is the picture of the call to discipleship. When we focus on what we're turning from, it seems like a cost and we see barren land, but when we focus on what we're turning to, there's treasure that we start to get a glimpse of and see. It's a joy, the call to discipleship. Why did he chuck a party? Because he wanted to honour Jesus. It was a natural reflex of the heart. He wanted others to experience what he had experienced and bring his friends and families around Jesus. His heart was starting to beat like Jesus' heart for those around him. He celebrated because he wasn't disqualified. He thought he was, but he's qualified. And he hears that call he's longed for. And he celebrates because he's starting to get a glimpse of what it is he's called into, the treasure of the kingdom and turning away from those other things. Yeah, the team can come and join us. You know, this, this was something that just became over the week so buoyant in my heart. Like, oh, there's a cost, but man, there's a joy. There's a joy in the discipleship call. And I feel like some of us, myself included at times, that joy of discipleship, of following Jesus can fade. You know, David in Psalm 51, he prays this prayer. He says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. In tonight's context, it would be restore to me the joy of the call to follow you. Restore to me. And that is my prayer for all of us in whatever level of joy we feel in our discipleship, that he would restore to a greater level the joy of the call to follow him. Hmm. You know, for some, it has faded. Maybe you felt and focused on and, and been caught up in the, the reasons you feel disqualified. Maybe you've sat around coffee tables or sat with friends or chatted with pastors and you're feeling disqualified and you're going, I just don't know if God can use me anymore. I don't know if God's interested. I don't know if I, I've, whatever it is, you feel disqualified. The encouragement tonight is Jesus calls you. And in Jesus calling you, he qualifies you straight up. There's nothing you need to do to earn that call. Yes, the call when we experience it and we heard it this morning, when we start to follow him, what that journey is about is our heart becoming to beat like his heart. And that changes how we live. But that's not how we earn the call. The call comes to all of us. And for some of you, you're hearing that call for the first time now. It's, it's this welling up within you. It's not necessarily words that you're hearing, but it's this sense of a presence you haven't felt before that's drawing you. It's the call of Jesus saying, follow me. You know, for some, it's not necessarily you feel disqualified, but you are caught in the wrestle, the wrestle of the decision, caught in the wrestle of what you, your focus is on. Are you looking at what you're turning from or turning to? And for some of us, it's just the call. It's just the decision 
to say, I'm not going to focus on those things I feel I'm turning from. I'm going to focus on the thing I'm turning to, which is Jesus and the kingdom and that adventure that is before us and allowing yourself this week to say, hey, Jesus, help me to see the treasures of the kingdom you've placed in my life, those people, those purposes, those communities, those um, uh, uh, things that you've placed around my life that I haven't seen because I've been focused on those things I thought I, I, I really want, but I'm leaving or, or I would have to turn away from. Turning of your heart. You know, my experience in the middle when we're in ambivalent or when we're undecided in anything, and I can be struggle at times to make decisions, my wife will tell you that. There's never a joy in the middle. It's just a wrestle. There's never a joy in the middle. But what I've found is whenever I've chosen to be wholehearted, whenever I've chosen to go, okay, I'm jumping in. Man, the joy of that decision, the challenge of that, it means, yes, there's challenges, there's costs, but man, there's the joy of a wholehearted decision, the joy of the call. The joy of that is amazing. And for some, it's just going, yeah, I'm going to jump in wholehearted. I'm going to take that step I've been wrestling to do. I'm going to talk to, I'm going to, whatever it might be. I don't want to prescribe it. The kingdom is huge. There's so many treasures and mysteries to be found as we journey with Jesus. For some, the joy has faded. You've felt disqualified. You've been wrestling in the middle. And the question there is, where do you turn? Where are you turning? And for some, we're just playing it safe. I can play it safe. But the call is to an adventure. To follow is not about thinking about following or believing about following Jesus. To follow is an active word. And it comes with risk and with cost, but with joy. And the challenge this week is to just step out of that boat a little bit. To start to not play safe and see what that wholeheartedness brings in terms of the joy of discipleship into your life. So let's pray. Let's pray. Hmm. You know, just before, while our eyes are closed, uh, just before I do pray, I just want to give, you know, I mentioned earlier, there might be people, and I believe there are people, that for the first time, genuinely, you're hearing the call of Jesus in your heart, the call to say, follow me. And you've never heard that like you're hearing it right now, within your heart, within your soul. That call from Jesus is to you, follow me. And you've never said yes to that. Tonight, right now, I want to give you a chance to respond as Matthew did in that moment. But in this way, I want to invite you to simply put your hand on your heart as an indication to Jesus who sees your heart already, but an indication to yourself, a physical act of you telling, you know, showing in, in your heart going yes to Jesus. So put your hand on your heart and I'm going to pray for you. Lord, right now you see the ones who are responding to your call for the first time. They're saying yes to you, Jesus. Be in their house, in their lounge, in the hub, wherever they are right now. Let that call get ever stronger in their heart and let their decision become ever so resolute in their heart that they no longer have to search for that place to fulfill that longing to hear that call, that the call they've been longing to hear comes from you to them right now. That, Lord, that you would turn their mourning into joy. 
the joy of the call as they respond right now, that there are weights and I feel like there's weights being lifted off of people, burdens that you've been carrying as you make this decision. There's weights and there's like this lightness coming. That's the joy of the call to discipleship that you're responding to. He's at work in your life. I thank you for that, Jesus. You know, as we stay in this space of responding, I just want to give us a couple moments to just do, oh, I'd say it that way, but just, I was going to say do business with God. It's so cliche, but it is what I mean, is to just take a moment like we did at the beginning after the worship, at the beginning of this time of looking at his word, just to consolidate in your heart your decision to follow him, to allow where the joy has faded, for Jesus to start to reveal the treasures, for Jesus to start to just have a conversation, for you to work with him, that yes, I'm going to follow him, to allow him to reveal the treasures, to remind you that you are qualified. So the team's just going to sing quietly. And we're going to sing that bridge. And as they do, sitting, standing, on your knees, however you want to do it, just allow yourself to just have a chat with Jesus who's calling you, who's intimate with you, who's right there with you. Follow me. So just take a few moments as the team leads us through that bridge.